With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won. Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing high five casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Woo! <laughs> I won again. I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your high five moment today? Only at highfivecasino.com. High five casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High five casino. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, save on select steel battery tools. Right now, save $50 on the FSA 57 battery trimmer set. Real steel. Find yours at steeldealers.com. With AK-10 battery and AL-101 charger, offer valid for limited time only while supplies last. See participating dealer for details. This is the Lombardi Line with Michael Lombardi and Patrick Maher on VSEN. Hey, everybody, welcome in. It's another edition of the Lombardi Line, presented as always by BetMGM as we're across the country today. Michael Lombardi in New Jersey. I'm Ben Wilson, in for Patrick Maher the rest of the week and weekend from our Circus Sportsbook Studios in downtown Las Vegas. Uh, what did we say, Michael, as we were getting ready for the show today? Always fodder in the NFL, no matter what day or time so of year there is. And there is more today, starting in Denver with the Athletic Report, that quarterback Russell Wilson apparently wanted Pete Carroll as head coach and GM John Snyder canned before they ultimately shipped him off to Denver last offseason. What do you make of that? Well, I mean, look, you know, I know Russell and his camp came out and denied the story, and I'm sure the Athletic just you know, got into fiction writing and took a John Irving course to just make some novel out of it. But I would say this. I mean, where did the Let Russ Cook campaign come from? Where did that start? I mean, it had to start somewhere, right? Like, it just wasn't, oh, gosh, you know, let's let's have this. Let's... Russ wanted to cook. He wanted to run the offense. Pete wanted to run a more balanced attack, right? We know those are two things we know. And Pete wasn't going to give up on that. So it makes sense that Russ would say, let me cook. Where'd that come from, Ben? You know, so it came Mm -hmm. from somewhere. It just wasn't invented. So, look, it's, I mean, it's old news. He's moved on. He's got to fix his career. The damage has already been done. He's gone. I mean, if he was all the things he thinks he was in Seattle, they wouldn't have made the move. That was my question with this report. Like, really? It's February 24th, 2023. What's the point of this? It's now over a year removed since he's gone to Denver. I mean, what are, what are we trying to accomplish here? It, and it almost feels like the, the pendulum. And there was a lot of yeah, like justified criticism for Russell Wilson in the way his as a, a diva type player in the locker room, how his end of career in Seattle ended and how that transitioned into what happened last year for the Broncos. But are we going a little too far? I mean, isn't that all, all known, Michael? And it's, I just wonder what the point of all this, uh, this new reporting is that's done so belatedly. Well, I think to me, Russell's a story, right? And the, the complete failure of what occurred in Denver adds more fuel to the story. Like, I think sometimes when the media misses on a player so badly that everybody wants to go back and figure out why did we miss, right? A smart thing to do. So... I mean, everybody thought, you can go through all the volumes of it, Russ is going to be great. Even though he only ran for 183 yards his last year in Seattle, 
he wouldn't run anymore, right? And so everybody thought when he when he got to Denver, it was going to be a piece of cake, and he was going to be. Even though you and I know his betters, I mean, there was it last year in Seattle. He beat Indianapolis in a come-from-behind game. I gave out Indy as a team to play that day, and I was kind of disappointed that I went against. I said to myself, oh, there's Russ beating me again in a three-point game. But from that moment forward, there was no more Russ, right? There was no more of that. So for me, that was kind of like, you know, it was started to decline, and you could see it. That's the one thing about the betting market. You can see when a player starts to move around and make mistakes and not be the same player. It's funny so, to, to think about that game, too, where it's not like it was, you know, one of the all-time great performances. There weren't even any touchdowns scored at the game. That, remember, that was the 125-1 to ticket that cashed that night. No touchdowns scored. And then things trickled down from there. So now, it, you know, you look at it now, and it's – on the one hand, you could say, Michael, all right, this is this could be a potential to, to buy low on a guy who's just been dragged through the mud and has deserved that dragging for basically the last 365 days uh, and now has a legitimate head coach in Sean Payton who comes in and takes over. You could, you could argue there's a, a situation where you could buy low on a team that gets a fourth-place schedule after finishing last in the AFC West, yet you know, the market has, has been pretty bullish. I mean, they were shortened down to 30-1 to 1 as soon as Payton took the job, so... I sit here late February and say, I don't know how there's really much value to look at in Denver as much as it's tempting to want to say, all right, here's maybe the, uh, the resuscitation story coming out of the Mile High City this year. Well, I think we have to learn a lesson from a coach that understands how to put his players in the best position, right? And we, we think Sean Payton will do that with Russell Wilson. We think he will emphasize the run game. We think he'll do enough creativity offensively to manage the game to not fall behind, to not make some of the rookie mistakes that Nathaniel Hackett made, and then keep them in games, and then cash in on red zone, cash in on third down in the red zone, cash in on some plays. They have really good talent. I've been saying this now for three years. I mean, Brett Musburger used to get on me all the time because I would say it, you know, when he was doing Raider games, I was saying, boy, that Bronco team's talented. And he was like, my lad, bro, they'll beat them. Don't worry. <laughs> and they lad. did, yep. you know, and they did. And so I think Sean can get it all together. Do I think it's a Super Bowl team? No, but I think he's got to play to if if they are, he's playing at a really high level. They have talent. They're, let's not confuse this. They are a good team, and if they get Williams back at running back with their receivers, and they get as Al Davis would say, organized on offense, they got a chance. A thirty to one number. It's a, at this point, what the market is telling you, it's a pretty fair price when you consider the talent on the team. I, I don't view that as a massive overreaction just because you, you bring in a head coach and just that one specific move, uh, would, I, you know, would I be jumping at the chance to bet that? No, but that, it's a team that will be fascinating to see just where the discourse goes. And it kind of gets into another thing, which is we, we saw this with Indianapolis last year and Denver was another great example, Michael, of how the general groupthink can sometimes lead us as betters down the wrong path. Or you, I mean, how many people did you hear last offseason not only talking about how great of an addition Russell Wilson would be for Denver, but how Indianapolis was the team to bet in the futures market, how great of a setup they had in a weak division. And over time, almost like osmosis, it just became that prevailing theory. And those were two of the biggest mistakes by very respected, uh, smart bettors in the market. I mean, I was on the Indianapolis train. I thought, you know, they would go in there and run the football. I, I didn't realize that Frank Wright lost his fastball. I didn't realize that, that he stopped being a tough coach. I didn't realize that their offensive line was going to take two, three, four, five steps backwards. I thought they were going to get better. 
I thought they were going to run the ball. I thought they were going to play action. I thought they were going to move Ryan around. I knew Ryan wasn't great, but I thought he would be enough to manage it, and I thought they could play good enough defense. You know, this team did beat the Chiefs at home in week, what, three of the season. So there, there was some things there, but it never got tied together. And I think that's really what we're talking about in this opening block is can the coach tie it together? Mm-hmm. Can they tie everything together? And that's what you're paying them for. That's what you're getting them to do. And some of the best coaching jobs, like Mike Tomlin did this year with Pittsburgh, are in the teams that don't make it to the Super Bowl that make them their team respectable. And I think Sean will do that here. And it's one of those things for now, just to keep in mind, is a pseudo-Beeson pro tip. Do not get enamored just with the general narrative. Really take a case-by-case basis. And you and I, were both uh, we both liked the Colts coming into last year. But make sure you take every single situation individually and apply the proper context. You just have to do that as we're into this offseason period right now. I, and look, here's another team that uh, there's, there's so many negative things going on right now with the Arizona Cardinals. But the news coming out at least from uh, from Michael Bidwell's perspective, who was on the, a podcast earlier this week, owner saying Cardinals need to, quote, figure out the quarterback room with Kyler Murray. We know out with the ACL recovery till at least midseason, although he said Kyler is likely ahead of schedule, at least on his early reports, and then uh, Colt McCoy recovering from his injuries as well. So uh, there's so much negativity swirling around that Arizona franchise, and I would say figuring things out, that, that is only where you have to start. <laughs> and then there's a lot of other issues to uh, to fall after that. Yeah, I mean, look, they, they, I don't know. To me, I don't know if I would rush Murray along. I mean, Nicole, Senator McCoy, who's a wonderful kid and, and a good player but can't stay healthy. So at some point you just have to say, you're our third quarterback, you're not really our second. They've got to go sign a second quarterback. And they're going to have to scurry through the market and see what quarterback in this free agency market has availability at a number that they can afford to pay. Is it Cooper Rush? Is it Mitchell Trubisky if he gets cut? Who is it going to be? They're going to have to rent a quarterback for 10 games maybe. Could be longer. Could be the whole mm-hmm. season. Could it be Jameis Winston? I mean, they're just going to have to rent one. And that's the fact you have to do. You know, could you draft one? Sure. But you're not drafting one to play right away. You know, you're not good enough offensively to do that. So you need a veteran guy to come in there and give your team some juice while these other quarterbacks are kind of mending themselves along. So it's kind of you're working on two operations at the same time. you got the team that you want to build around Murray, but you got to get the team to play good with the quarterback. That's why Al Davis always used to say all the time, we got to have – we got to before we go into offseason, we at least have to have a team that could play a game. Right now the Cardinals can't play a game. They don't have a quarterback. And it becomes a moot point if you have zero personnel around said quarterback. The quote from Midwell, I think his return is going to be earlier than this midseason, so hopefully it's toward the beginning of the season. Uh, so interesting to see him that, uh, that aggressive, at least on the, on the timeline. You also have the new GM now, Monty Osenfort, coming in, who sort of contradicts himself by saying he's, on the one hand, still evaluating wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins' future while also saying he's excited to have him on the team. I don't know how you can say those two things in the in the same statement, but this is a an interesting age thirty one season for Hopkins, who is who has got the potential. He wants out. a new contract. Yeah, he wants a new contract. I mean, how are you going to do that? Like he wants. This is what happens in the free agency market when when these guys start to get paid. Even if you got paid last year, like all the guys that got paid last year, and there were a lot of them at receiver. There's going to be new deals come in this year. Maybe not to the level because there's not a lot of good free agency out there in terms of receiver. But when someone gets paid, they want to get paid. They want to readjust their contract, which is ultimately what teams have always done to them. When they don't play good, the team wants to readjust their contract. 
I just look at the contract and you go, okay, you were, you were suspended. You barely played. It was a horrible year. And Hey, you're set to still make, you know, in the, in the 20 million range this year as a 31 year old wide receiver who has a chance to prove that he's not yet past his prime. I I don't understand where the complaining is coming from Hopkins standpoint. I guess I'm obviously naive though, to the way that the wide receivers think. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they want to get paid. I mean, and so you're going to have to deal with it. Hopkins is going to be a hard guy to trade, Ben. He's not an easy guy to trade. Everybody gave Billy O'Brien a lot of crap because he, they felt like he took a really less deal. You think Billy just took a bad deal? I mean, there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that goes into that deal that I don't think people were fully aware of. Yeah, that Texans-Cardinals trade that nobody said. No, there was not a single person would have said that was a, a pro-Texans trade at the time. It was a, it was a swindling by Arizona. So those are a couple of our headlines to start the show today. We're off and rolling here on the Friday edition of the Lombardi Line. We'll have Pat Leonard, Giants reporter for the New York Daily News, joining us a little bit later this hour in about 20 minutes, as well as Vinny Maliulo, oddsmaker over at the South Point. So a fun show on tap. We'll come back. Talk Eric Bieniemy. his quotes from yesterday being hired in Washington. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. I won! Yahoo! Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sarge, high five casino is a social casino. It's on your phone. goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. I won again. Platoon, present cell phone. High five. High five. Casino. Casino. Win at highfivecasino.com. High five casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High five casino. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, once again, here's Patrick Maher. If you're looking for a betting edge on the NHL, NBA, or college basketball, the VEASAN experts have got you covered. Become a VEASAN Pro subscriber with an introductory offer of only $9.99. VEASAN Pro subscribers get access to our daily recap of the top plays made by VEASAN show hosts and guests. Tools like our betting splits, deep dive betting reports, VEASAN betting guides for the biggest games of the season, where our experts break down brackets, best bets, and daily props. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Visit vsin.com slash subscribe today to sign up for only $9.99. That is vsin.com slash subscribe. Ben Wilson back with you from downtown Las Vegas, our South Point, our uh, Circus Sportsbook Studios. We're going to the South Point a little bit later. I'm excited to have Vinny Maliulo on the show for his weekly uh, Friday hit there, Michael. Michael in New Jersey right now. Uh, for now, though, we look at what happened yesterday with the introductory press conference for Eric Bieniemy, new Washington Commanders offensive coordinator. And but we have a few sound bites we'll play in a second. But just from a general you know, leadership uh, grace standpoint, Michael, to, to sit back and watch and listen to Eric Bieniemy answer all these questions about you know, reporters who, were, look, rightly were asking, OK, we've heard from former players say you weren't you weren't really a part of 
the the meetings in the offensive structure. LaShawn McCoy was the main guy who came out and said that on TV last week. Uh, how, how did you uh, assess what you heard from Biennemi, who handled everything with so much grace, it seemed like, uh, on the surface yesterday? Well, I mean, you could tell he's been obviously in front of the media, and he did the right thing. I mean, it's absurd to think that the guy is, you know, not involved. I mean, I don't think players – I truly don't think players understand what happens on the second floor. Maybe Russell does because he had an office up there in Denver <laughs> on the second yeah. floor. But I don't think they understand it. Just because in the team meetings somebody doesn't put the offense in – but there's an influence all over the place. And what's the role of the coach on the staff? So, look, I, I think Biennemi handled himself really well. I think his challenge awaits him. The receiver coach left to go to Arizona, so he's going to have to replace the receiver coach. He's going to have to kind of blend himself in with the coaching staff unless he makes changes, which I've heard there's going to be some changes with the coaching staff. Maybe he can bring in some guys that know what he's doing. But he's taken over an offense that has the ability – to with skilled players to throw the football. The problem is they have an inability to protect. And so they struggle. They break down. The offensive line breaks down. They can't put plays together. The, they can't really get the kind of production that they need, and it really starts with the quarterback. So that's going to be his biggest challenge. I mean, they were 28th in the league in percent of scoring on drives, right? They're 27th in the league in points scored. They couldn't really throw the football effectively. They're 23rd in yards per attempt for a team that has good skill. And then they couldn't really run the ball. They attempted to run the balls. They were the fourth most rushed team in the league in terms of attempting running. They were 28th in terms of the average per attempt. Lots to try and figure out on Biennemi's standpoint. Not only the offensive line, which ended up grading out with the advanced metrics, bottom 10 in the league. Anybody who watched the commanders all season would agree with what the numbers spit out and what you are going to do with the quarterback position, which is now an unknown heading into 2023. As far as some of his comments, we'll, we'll start here as far as for him, understanding that, and the, the consensus was, you're just not going to get a head coaching job as long as you're in Kansas City to, under that shadow of, of Andy Reid as the head coach and the play caller. So how has uh, he approached this? It, it was an interesting first comment for Biennemi now trying to get out of that shadow, head to Washington, and create uh, something on his own here. In 10 years, we've had a great deal of success, all right? For the, for the past five years I've been the office coordinator, we've had a great deal of success. It's been 10 years. I was blessed and fortunate to have that opportunity and share that space with some amazing people, okay? But one thing in this profession you learn, comfort is the enemy of progress, okay? So when it's all said and done with, I don't like being comfortable. So I'm about accepting challenges and moving forward. So this presents a challenge to me, all right? Also, it presents a challenge to come and work with such a great head coach and a head man, but on top of that, I'm willing to embrace this journey. Comfort is the enemy of progress. That sounds like a line you would have in a, in a daily coach article, Michael. I, I, yeah. I think of you as soon as I, I hear a line like that. It is. It's true. You know, you can't get comfortable. Look, this isn't the first time this has happened in the league, okay? So Joe Bugle, the former head coach of the Raiders, former head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, was the offensive line coach of the Washington Redskins. He was the creator of the hogs, if you will. And Bugle was always trying to get a head coaching job. Now, he struggled partly because there's a perception, fairly accurate, that offensive line coaches have a hard time being head coaches, right? You know, it's a challenge job. They, 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 it's a hard, they don't never call plays. They don't really understand coverages. They don't, you know, they just live in that, that end zone-looking world that they do, and they coach the hell out of five guys. So he struggled. Then he went to Arizona to become the offense coordinator, and then he got himself a head coaching job. 
So this isn't the first time you've had a, mm-hmm. a great a coach has had to leave the shadow of another great coach. And certainly Joe Gibbs is a great coach, just like Andy Reid. So the enemy will get every opportunity to get in front of a team, lead men, see what he can do. And I don't think anybody's going to hold him accountable for the lack of quarterbacking play. I know I won't. I mean, you know, what his offense looks like, how he handles game situations, how he game plans, those are more important than actually what the results are because he can't control the quarterback. He's not the general manager of the team. He's not the head coach of the team. He can only coach what he has. So you can't critique him for that. I've said this many times. Brian Dayball, he's in Miami as the offensive coordinator. He got fires in Cleveland from Mangini's staff, goes down to Miami as the offensive coordinator, bottom third of the league, goes to Kansas City, bottom third of the league, trying to get an interview with us at the Cleveland Browns. Can't even get an interview with us at the Browns. Everybody, all the analytical people in Cleveland, including the president, all said, his numbers are horrible. Okay? Goes to New England, tight end coach, gets around winners, goes to Alabama, winners, gets the Buffalo job. He's got Josh Allen. All of a sudden, he went from being a coach who couldn't get interviewed to now he's a great coach. It's amazing when you think about it like that. Yeah. You know, you got to be really careful. A lot of it is sometimes it's just the the players, and you've got to be able to dis- understand. Now, do I think certain guys could make you better? Yeah, sure. You know, do I think Zach Taylor, if he spent time with Bill Parcells, could become a better head coach? Absolutely. Absolutely. Could I think they could win more games if he managed the game differently? Absolutely. But he's got talent. It's so one of those things you don't necessarily just get when you come when you come into a, a new team, and that's where Eric Bieniemy's uh, challenge will be with a personnel that is very very subpar right now from an offensive standpoint. the The other interesting quote from him uh, coming out also there's a quote on Sam Howell, the potential quarterback for 2023. We'll get to in a second, but how how all the narrative and, and the media driven talking points have been. All right, when are you getting a head coaching job? When when is this going to be an opportunity for a guy with such great credentials and resume in Kansas City. Here's what Biennemi had to say as far as how he's approaching that long term. Being a head coach right now is not in my in my thought process. Right now, here's what I'm focused on. I'm focusing on being the best coach that I can be today. Okay? The rest of everything else will take care of itself starting tomorrow. I live in the moment. Okay? So I got to be implanted. And Nikki know exactly what I'm about to say. I got to be where my feet are. So right now, my feet are planted right here. Sure, that's what you want to hear from the Washington uh, perspective. Yet, uh, is yeah. there any 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 thought in your mind, Michael, that with Ron Rivera as a head coach coming back, there's not been much success overall. You have rumors about who will be a new ownership group. It's it's logical to think. Well, could the enemy be planning himself there, and, and in the long term, could that be a head coaching option for Washington? Well, it only matters if he does a good job, right? He's not going to get the job if he does a bad job, right? So really, the only thing he can control is doing a good job. So that's what he has to work on. Look, the team's going to get sold. Eventually, it's going to get sold, whether it's next week, whether it's two weeks, whether it's a month. It's going to get sold. And that organization is going to have an exorcism. They've got to cleanse the Dan Snyder regime out of it. So there's going to be a complete cleansing. Will the enemy survive that cleansing? It all depends on how he does. It all depends on how he does. Everybody that works in Washington today is expecting doom and gloom. They're expecting everything to fall apart because they know – the team's going to get sold. The owner's got a $60 million mansion on the Potomac for sale. He's going to relocate in Europe. So these are just – this is going to weigh on him all the time. Yeah, you, know, you got to do the best job you can. And as he said, you got to you got to – the only thing you can control is making the offense better. That's all he could do. Yeah. And the, the last – the thing, too, on uh, Jeff Bezos, which comes out last night, he is now the latest to hire an investment firm 
to at least explore that possibility of purchase. And I, I found it amusing, the one uh, little throwaway line at the end of that report saying, yes, if he wanted to, he could outbid anybody else on the basis of him being the third most richest person in the, on the planet. So like if Bezos wants to buy the team, I don't know how realistic you, you believe that to be, but it's very early in the oh, process on his it. end. I think there's no doubt. I mean, it's good for his brand. He's a partner with the owners on television deals. I mean, you know, why not? Why not make money from Amazon if you're a part, you know, why not do it? I think they want him to do it. I think they want him to be part of a group. Look, whoever gets this team, Ben, they're going to have a Super Bowl in Washington. They're going to get a new stadium. It's going to be unbelievable. We need the Washington football team to be part of this great teams of the NFL. It, it helps the league. It helps the rate. It helps everything because it's a great football town. And this owner has destroyed it, and it's not going anywhere until he signs that paperwork to sell the team. And if Bezos buys it or someone else, Josh Harris from Apollo Group, they buy it, it'll, the value is going to go up because you're going to get a stadium, you're going to get a Super Bowl, and you're going to have a fan base come back. You told me a while ago, bet the over on the, uh, oh, the, the $6 billion number. And, I mean, it's, that, it's, that's, if, especially if Bezos is in the fold, he can just throw whatever he wants out there and then we'll be able to, uh, to purchase the team. Uh, the other interesting quote from Eric Bieniemy on, on Sam Howell, who will be competing for that starting job next year, he saw that, that flex and that got me fired up. That's what Bieniemy said. So he's at least, you know, he, he comes in and we'll now try to we, we work with the We should talk about Sam when we come back. Yeah, we, we, we will we because we're going to talk more NFC East. Uh, Pat Leonard from the New York Daily News talking New York Giants. Some interesting offseason discussions there with the future quarterback Daniel Jones. We'll discuss with Pat on the other side. You're listening to the Lombardi Line on VSEN, featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, once again, here's Patrick Maher. Even though the NFL season is over, we still have a bunch of content for you across the network at VEASAN, including a couple new podcasts. Tim Murray hosting our brand new VEASAN College Basketball Betting Podcast. We have episodes three times a week with rotating co-hosts Matt Humans and Adam Burke with the build-up to March Madness, now just a few weeks away, as well as the VEASAN Hockey Betting Podcast. Danny Burke joined by Andy McNeil, a twice-a-week podcast as well. So a lot of great content going on. There's also additional podcasts still to come in the next couple of weeks, including Adam Burke on Major League Baseball and Formula One, Mikhail Miranda. I'll be, I'll be right alongside the, uh, the co-pilot's chair there with Mikhail. That starts next week as well. So check that out, vcin.com slash podcast, wherever you subscribe as well, Apple, Spotify, we have those all available there. We're back on the Lombardi line with Michael Lombardi in New Jersey. I'm Ben Wilson in for Patrick Maher. I hear from Las Vegas at our Circus Sportsbook Studios. New York Giants have become a big talking point. Uh, Michael, even though it's not like we know anything new about Daniel Jones and his ongoing negotiations, but we welcome in somebody who has been right in the middle of at least reporting on all this stuff and has a very good sense for everything going on uh, for Big Blue Nation. Pat Leonard joins us right now, reporter for the New York Daily News, covers the uh, the New York Giants. You can follow him at Pete Leonard, NYDN. So as we, we sit now, the report I, I saw you had was that it wasn't that Daniel Jones necessarily broke off the negotiation to switch agencies. It was more just a change of agency that just kind of delayed things in, in the start. So with that going on, and we still have waited for more news to come out, where do we sit as of today on the Jones negotiation front? Ben, as of today, thanks for having me on, guys. We are just getting started on the conversations between the Giants and Jones's new representation. You hit it right off the bat, as I wrote in the Daily News. Really, there were two main misconceptions here, gentlemen, that I think people lost amid the tizzy of $45 million report and Jones changing agents. Number one, negotiations hadn't started yet between CAA and the Giants, official negotiations. And therefore, this was not a decision that Daniel Jones made overnight or a week ago. This was a decision that was percolating as early as the Senior Bowl. 
And so this was not something where they tore up negotiations and they're kind of behind the eight ball because their first conversations went poorly. The second thing is the pro football talk report of possibly up to $45 million a year being Daniel Jones's ask. First of all, it's, it's absolutely couched that number. But secondly, that does not mean that Daniel Jones is seeking $45 million. The Giants certainly wouldn't pay it. I think what people need to understand is the $40 million a year number is the that is a landmark number. That is kind of a flashpoint right now in the current quarterback market, both with what players want to make and what teams like the Giants maybe don't want to spend. So when you hear up to 45, I think you should recalibrate your understanding if you're a Giants fan, an NFL fan, that really this probably boils down to whether Daniel Jones can get over 40 and whether the Giants will go there. Do you think, Pat, that they will franchise him if they don't get a deal? I know the Giants want to pay him. I mean, John Mara wants to pay him. John Mara wants to keep him there. Do you think that that they will, if they can't get a deal, that they will franchise him at the non-exclusive number? I do. I But that's that would be a placeholder, Michael, for them to continue and try to work out the deal you just said. The Giants do want to re-sign him. They do want Daniel Jones to be their long-term quarterback but they don't want it to count $32.5 million against their salary cap this year. And that is the primary conversation right off the bat happening as they exchange their initial numbers. The Giants want Daniel Jones's camp to know, we want you, but we want to build the team around you. And even though we look like we have ample cap space compared to last year, if you make us pay you 32 and a half this season on the cap and in cash, it prevents our ability to build your receiving court, to re- to build your mm-hmm. offensive line, to improve the defense that needs players at corner, linebacker, depth defensive tackle, and on and on. And so they will tag him by March 7th if they don't have a deal done, is my understanding, is, how, is yeah. what I think and believe will happen. But with the idea that they don't want to end up having Jones play on that number, and Michael, frankly, if they have him tagged and become, they reach a point where there is no hope for a compromise, and we're not there yet, but if they reach that point, it really wouldn't be out of the question for the Giants to enter the NFL draft quarterback market if they got to that point. Not saying they definitely would draft one, but in that case, now you're looking at, well, now we're hamstrung for the current season financially. Maybe we're looking at drafting our guy now. Mm. That's what makes your reporting just on the delays with the agency so fascinating, where you think about the franchise tag window. It only goes to March 7th. So naturally, as we get closer, you're sitting at a point where this could come up you know, right, right down to the buzzer, wouldn't, wouldn't you think, based on the timeline here? It could, especially because they, if they can get a deal done with Daniel all the way up until that deadline, they could then use the franchise tag to at least temporarily preserve their rights with Saquon Barkley, the running back who is also free agent. And if they need to use the tag on Daniel Jones by March 7th because they don't have a deal, now they can't tag Barkley, in which case now that leaves Saquon because 10 million is already a high number running back. But when you think about the fact that Barkley already turned down between 12 and 12 and a half a year in a three-year deal, if he doesn't want to play on that, he's already on record saying he doesn't want to play on the tag. So if they can't tag him, how does that impact Barkley's future in New York? I, Guys, frankly... When this news came out about Jones changing agents, I think a lot of people rushed to the fact that, oh, maybe Jones won't be the Giants quarterback. Sitting here right now, I still think the player of those two more likely to not be on this team in week one of this season as we sit here now is Saquon. 
So is Dave Dunn handling the negotiation for athletes first, or will Trace Armstrong handle it? No, my understanding is that uh, this is Brian Murphy, Cameron Hahn, and Andrew Kessler are on Daniel Jones's uh, account here, which is interesting because even though Athletes First has done a lot of quarterback contracts recently, that collective group has not been the primary, Michael, on yeah. any of the recent big-time quarterbacks. So that's part of what makes this interesting. And just for some context, if people understand – and, and Mike, you know, you know, guys in locker rooms, they talk and these conversations happen all the time. Daniel Jones's best friend on the Giants, David Sills, who about a year ago left Steinberg Sports for Athletes First. Uh, Kyle Rudolph, one of his good friends who went to Tampa Bay, his agents are Brian Murphy, Cameron Hahn, Athletes First, and they stay in, in close touch. Sterling Shepard, another of Jones's close friends, represented by Athletes First. Um, you know, this was something that didn't happen overnight. It was something that Daniel Jones, I think, started percolating really back when uh, the Giants did not pick up Daniel Jones's fifth year option in the spring. Not necessarily that he started thinking then and there of dropping CAA, but more the idea that he was going to make sure he got his come negotiation time with the Giants. And then obviously mm -hmm. the team didn't approach him at the bye week when they talked to Barkley and Julian Love's agents about contract extensions. So that kind of set the table for him going into January and February to make this move. A lot going on as we, we break it down with uh, Pat yeah. Leonard, Giants, Giants beat reporter. That, yeah, that's a good uh, way to, to break it down, and we appreciate you doing that. Uh, you can follow Pat again at P. Leonard, NYDN, Giants beat reporter for the New York Daily News. Also check out his Talking Ball with uh, with Pat Leonard podcast there on the Believe Network. I look at the draft, too, and it's you, you think about this from the Giants' perspective. You're picking 26th after making the divisional round. And, again, we, we know that from what you've said – based on how the next couple weeks goes and how this contract negotiations play out, that's going to dictate a lot of where the draft strategy comes from, from the Giants. But as you sit here now, let's just say we get to, get to April and in some way contracts are figured out, whether that is through the tag or an extension for Jones and Barkley. Where do the Giants go at that point if you're looking at that late first-round pick? Well, I think wide receiver has to be the position you look at the most. Now, that in the modern NFL, that could also include tight ends, right? Um, you know, if you can find a Travis Kelsey, I don't think there's one in this draft, but, you know, a guy like Luke Musgrave from Oregon State is somebody who people think might have the ceiling to get there. If Michael Mayer from Notre Dame somehow fell to 25 where the Giants are picking, I think that card would be turned in before uh, they were on the clock, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. you know, frankly. Uh, but, you know, the Giants, they need pass catchers, especially like you just said, if Daniel Jones is coming back. One, one negotiation point that will be brought up by the athletes' first team will be look at the numbers or look at the wins and look at the playoff win Daniel Jones had with the receiving core he had available. And so this is something that everyone can agree on in New York, that they need a number one receiver, a target. Now, they do need corners very badly. Uh, they need inside linebacker, though I don't consider that a premium position they would draft in that spot. Interior offensive line is something to keep on the back burner in your mind because this is not a strong draft. At least people around the league don't consider it a very strong draft compared to some other years. But interior offensive line is one position that people do like for some depth as well as high-end talent in this draft. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. Yeah, we're going to have a draft, Ben. There's going to be 31 wide receivers picked in the first <laughs> round. It's going to be 31 of them. Pat, you should have been Everybody here. Everybody wants uh, a receiver. You should have been here the Everybody other day. Needs, our, our we all need them. Poor Chad Graff from the Athletic. Um, he was saying I mean, uh, the, the Giants might be first. the slowest defensive team in the history of football, but, oh, you know, they get that receiver. It'll right. help them. There's no doubt.
Over right, exactly. If you 31. if you need it, what is it? If you're if you have a slow middle linebacker, you have a slow defense. Your defense is Wink. slow. Yeah. yeah, that's what Wink Martindale said to us in November. So Wink Martindale got that. that from me, though, Pat. I got to be honest. I'm still. <laughs> I mean, Wink Martindale stole that from me at the Raiders. He, he can he can credit himself for that, but that's my line. <laughs> that is Michael's line. Uh, Pat Leonard, hey, we really appreciate the time. It was a great breakdown of, of what we should now pay attention to with the Giants going forward. So thanks, sir, and, and enjoy the rest of this pseudo offseason that you guys get now. More receivers. Thanks, Let's get them all. Four, come on. Four, thanks, yeah. Pat. Thanks to Pat Leonard. All right, we'll come back, talk some salary cap casualties. Bobby Wagner, no longer an L.A. Ram. Who could be some others who fall in this offseason period? There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at HighFiveCasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumberFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now. Featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, once again, here's Patrick Maher. Basketball fans can turn a loss into a win with the King of Sportsbooks. Just place a single first basket score prop bet on any NBA game. If your bet loses, you'll receive up to $25 back in bonus bets. Wager confidently and take your game to the next level with BetMGM, an authorized gaming partner of the NBA. Just log into your account or download the BetMGM app and sign up today. Then wager on any player to score the first basket in any NBA game. If your bet misses, you'll get up to $25 back in bonus bets. Turn game time into showtime with BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as is non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Mississippi, Nevada, or New York. Great show today continues. Thanks to Elliot Bauman, our producer behind the glass. As I'm Ben Wilson in for Patrick Maher. Rest of the week and weekend with Michael Lombardi in New Jersey. Thanks to our whole crew here at Circa. Andrew Ingold, our technical director. We've got Andre Pariso. Sergio Sanchez, uh, Mikhail Miranda, uh, Troy Kinch, all in the house today. Michael, we got a full full crew here at uh, Circa on a Friday. We'll go down to the South Point, visit with Vin- Vinny Maliulo, the South Point odds maker, in about 20 minutes. So excited to have Vinny on the show to kick off hour number two. For now, though, we talk some cap casualties, and Bobby Wagner, the linebacker for the Rams, was the latest yesterday. Uh, Michael, really a surprise to you at all, considering where the Rams are at cap-wise heading into this year? No, I mean, look, that often happens every time. You know, you think you're one player away. You sign a guy that the team's cutting because they want to get younger. They want to get faster. 
so you sign that. I mean, I, I think a lot of that happens. Khalil Mack, for example, you know, the Chargers signed him thinking that they can get a year out of him to give them some pass rush, and it's not quite the same as it was five years ago for Khalil Mack when he went to Chicago or when he played for the Raiders. So, you know, when that happens, the player gets kind of the money, but then the production isn't exactly the same. So I think ultimately you're going to see a lot of these cap casualties come through here. With Wagner, it at least saves the Rams about $5 million in, in cap space. They do have to pay a $7.5 million dead money charge, at least for the Rams. Is You know, it's one of those situations. Fly, what do they say? Flags fly forever, Michael? I mean, and it, even though Wagner was not part of the Super Bowl season, it's still, it, it's, it's been part of that general structure over the last few years where they have sold out wanting to win at all costs, even if that means cap numbers are going to be very hard to finagle down the stretch. So Wagner st- starts. He's one of the cap casualties that we expect to see more of. You mentioned Khalil Mack from the Chargers, who is on our list. We, we look at the some of the other interesting candidates, though, for this year. We'll call it re-sign or no, release or restructure, essentially, is how we're going to look at this. So we'll flash up our first page. And we were talking about Eric Bieniemy earlier, offensive coordinator for the Commanders. This would seem like, I mean, the obvious one, Michael Carson Wentz. I mean, especially with, you know, think about the dead cap number uh, right now, not not impacting the team whatsoever. Wouldn't you think that this is uh, this is not a situation Washington wants to go down again for another year? No, I would think they're going to make this move. I would be shocked if he's not on that list. I mean, especially considering he doesn't have dead, ca- he doesn't carry right. any debt. So his estimated cap space, his cap number, you know, I think you got to really take a close look at that because when you when you take a guy whose contract you basically have traded for the contract, so you're not really all you're doing is looking at the paragraph five. His base salary is twenty million dollars. In paragraph five, plus he's got $26 million in a roster bonus. So if they were to let him go before that bonus, they would pick up $26 million. They're going to pick up 26. They're not going to pick up just eight. They're going to pick up $26 million. So that's going to be huge because they want to, that money's going to go to Payne. That money's going to go to Payne to then pay him and then some other guys. They got to pay Payne. Payne's probably going to make around $20 million. Right. You know, what are they going to do with Heineke? What do they do with him? You know, Plus, they're going to have to sign Chase Young to an extension. So you got to have to plan for that, too. So to me, there's no way you could pay Wentz $26 million. It's a really reasonable quarterback contract if he was a good player, but it's not. That, that is the big issue for, for a situation like him. And there was, you, and we talked about the enemy hiring his offensive coordinator, and then you have the Sam Howell piece as a young quarterback. Uh, we had run out of time in that segment. What else did you want to add on, on the Howell front that, uh, that leads into this offseason now for Washington? Well, I think to me, when you watched Howell as a freshman, as a sophomore, you really thought he was a good player. And the longer he played at North Carolina, he didn't play to that level. Whether it was because of the offense, because of how they managed him, you know. But last year at the draft, a lot of teams liked him. Now he slipped. But, you know, he can kind of – he shows skill. He showed skill as a freshman. And I think to me, sometimes guys that play for as long as they do, they get kind of picked on because they have so many games and some of them are not great starts. I think Sam Howell's worth investing time in an offseason. Would I sign a veteran behind him? Yeah, naturally. But I think he's somebody that you should invest some time in because he's got talent. You will see Eric Bieniemy had very glowing things to say about Howell at his introductory press conference yesterday. So Wentz seems like an obvious cap casualty. How about Ryan Tannehill and what to make of what's going on in a, uh, an interesting offseason for Tennessee with a whole lot of moving parts as quarterback there down in Nashville? Well, I mean, Tannehill's got $27 million in base salary. Okay, so that's paragraph five. And 
if you get rid of him, he's got eighteen million of dead cap money that travels with him. His cap number's thirty six. So what do you do? You go to him and say, I want to convert the twenty seven million into a signing bonus and buy more and buy a more bad years of contract? No. So he either takes a cut and you give it to him back in incentives, or you're gonna to have to release him. Because they're gonna to have to get some players back on their team. You know, they've got a lot of guys. I mean, David Long's out there as a free agent. He's one of their better players. You know, they got, I, I think Henry's going to be a free agent. He's on the cap, but they're going to have to remodify his deal. You know, they got Bud Dupree making, you know, Bud Dupree's $20 million on their cap. But when you get rid of Tannehill, where are we going to quarterback? What are we going to do? That's mm-hmm. the hard thing. This is not a talented roster. I mean, Jeffrey Simmons is great. You know, Henry's really good. Bayard's really good. But other than that, they really struggle to get talent on the field. That's where you look at the new GM coming in, where Carthon enters from San Francisco, and that's where you try to figure out, okay, not an easy situation to take over for by any means, and a a team that had wholesale changes at the end of last year, losing their last seven games. You still have Mike Vrabel as a head coach, but it's sort of like what's your read on how Carthon's going to approach this as a new GM coming into a new organization? Well, if he follows the San Francisco model, right, you know, San Francisco, one of the things that San Francisco's done a wonderful job with, in spite of the movement to draft 32 receivers in the first round, San Francisco doesn't adhere to that. San Francisco either drafts offensive or defensive linemen in the first round, and that's been fairly successful. Now, I know, you know, that's not what, what we should do. I know we should draft a receiver at every turn, but that's what they do. You know, they draft, they draft Buckner at 7. They draft Armstead at 17. They draft Kinlaw at 14. You know, they draft Solomon Thomas at two, right? They draft all. They draft Bosa at two. Wonder why they have a good line? McGlinchey at nine, right? You wonder why yeah. they have a good line? You know, that's where it is. They, so they say to themselves, we're going to put our money in the two lines in the first round, and then we'll find our Debo Samuels. We'll find our other Kittle in the fifth. We'll find some of these other guys. But if we can't win the line of scrimmage, we can't win. So I think that as a backdrop, if you're Carthon and you've been in that, it really comes back. He's a disaster. You know, Lawan got cut. They played a bunch of rookies there. It wasn't pretty. Tannehill took a beating this year. I think that's first and foremost. And that's what the Titans just did, right? It was the, the, the Lawan uh, releasing the three-time Pro Bowler but was over the hill, veteran offensive lineman with Robert Woods and Randy Bullock all cleared out. And that, that's you know, $38 million in salary cap space and then – a little over $40 million in cash opened up here for 2023. That's, that's why you look at Tennessee. You see them picking 11th in the draft, and there's a lot of different holes to try to go after, but that's what makes the Tannehill situation uh, quite intriguing. One more that we'll, we'll throw out here, Michael, potential salary cap casualty, or is there going to be uh, a restructure here? Joe Mixon for Cincinnati. Bengals have one of the better cap space situations of any team yeah. heading into, into this offseason, largely in part to having a young quarterback. and doesn't take up a giant portion of the cap with Joe Burrow. So how will the Bengals handle this with a guy who has a relatively low dead cap number, five and a half million for Mixon? Yeah, that's not – so every team has a style, right? That's not that's not Cincinnati's style. If they don't want you on the team, they cut you. They don't redo you. And so I think Mixon I, – I mean, Mixon needs to get his juice back. There's no doubt. They they Perrine actually, I thought, ran the ball harder than he did. So I don't think that Mixon will not be a cap casualty. I think Mixon will be on the team. I think they'll add another couple players to the team. They need to add. They need to figure out, are they going to be good enough at right tackle with Collins? To me, he could be a cap casualty because he's not going to count very much. 
but you know he's got four and a half million in paragraph five. Plus he's got another two million in roster bonus. They got to they got to redo Chase's deal, and they're going to have to redo Burrow's deal. Right. Those are going to be expensive deals. That's why it's fascinating to look at Cincinnati, where they invested so much more than any other team in the offensive line, and yet heading into twenty twenty three, it's it's not like you view that unit as being rock solid, right? Considering the struggles at the end of the year. Yeah, no, I mean, look, they got hurt. Collins got hurt. I mean, I don't think John Williams is a great player. So he's the left tackle. They, you know, they picked up the fifth year. But, I mean, I don't know if – I don't think he's a great player. And then they've tried to go through with draft picks. They signed Kappa. They signed Ted Karras in that, at a reasonable deal. Not a, You know, he's not a great player, but he's good enough to get him in there. The Jackson Carmen kid they drafted in the second round, they tried to fix it. They just haven't come up with right. the answer yet. Goes to show, even for teams in very good salary cap positions, there's still a lot of moving parts and questions to be answered in this offseason period, especially for a team like Cincinnati that invested heavily at O-line. What will they do now in this offseason portion? That is our number one for us on the Lombardi line. Vinny Maliulo, odds maker at the South Point, stops by when we return. The following is a high-five moment from HighFiveCasino.com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won! Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing High Five Casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Whoa! <laughs> I won again! I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your High Five moment today? Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. A collision between a Chinese jet and an American spy plane. He came and rammed into our left wing. With relations increasingly strained, what are the chances of things spinning out of control? The Western world was asleep. I'm Gordon Carrera. I'll be exploring the friction in this most important of relationships and asking, has the West taken its eye off the ball? You cannot ignore China. From BBC Radio 4, this is Shadow War, China and the West. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. 